it's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. A show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman, LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hey everybody, welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Coming to you on January 27th, the Monday, the LA Galaxy deep in the throes of preseason now. Two-a-days, lots of training, lots of updates, lots of fun stuff for you. Uh, Going to give you a quick little view into the LA Galaxy and what they're doing right now this week and uh, sort of what you can expect for the coming weeks as we get moving forward a little bit more. And yes... New theme music on Monday nights as well. If you complained about the music on Thursday night, you can complain about the music on Monday night as well. Uh, Let's see. In order to help me get through all this wonderful stuff is the panda himself, the the infirmed panda himself, Mr. Kevin Baxter. How you doing, buddy? What the hell was that? (laughs) Are you you okay? Are you ready? I'm ready. I just am not the, the music. It, you know, I have to. I have to put the other music back in my mind just to get fired up. I was gonna. Yeah, is that what you have to do? You, you yeah. that's, That music always got you fired up. That's right. This this one, I just I, I just don't feel the same. Well, you're also sick, so that's probably what. No. The, what yeah. The, yeah. I'm very sick. I'm very sick. In fact, uh, I was telling you before we went on, I have an interview scheduled with some U.S. national team players tomorrow. And I always prefer to do those in person. It's a hassle for me, get, given where I live out here in southern bakersfield right it's a hassle to get to the StubHub center in the morning or dignity health sports park as it's known now uh so i i like to to go out there because i like to see the players and i like to let them know that i thought it was important enough to speak to them that i you know came out however um i'd be coughing and sneezing around everybody and the last thing i need is for me to start coughing and sneezing and then have julian arajo or walker zimmerman not be able to play in the game uh, (laughs) and then they blame me for it so just as a matter of precaution, I have uh, asked whether I can do those interviews over the phone, and been told that I can. So that's good. That is uh, that is good. Well, hopefully, I know you're you're barely hanging in there, so I'm glad that uh, you could stop by, and uh, and help us. I don't know. Um, weird week already, Kevin. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I actually I do know what it is. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, SoCal under a little bit of a cloud, and I wanted to at least touch on it a little bit because I feel like if we don't talk about it, we're not acknowledging sort of the time and the place that we're at. Um, but obviously the uh, the death of Kobe Bryant, which is, uh, in, in my mind, uh, not just a Southern California story, but a Southern California soccer story when you, you really break it down and, and, and get into the heart of it as, as it goes. Uh, everybody knows that Kobe Bryant was a huge soccer fan, uh, you know, grew up in Italy uh, as his dad played basketball in Italy and was a, uh, a big fan of AC Milan. Um, so that was his uh, his first team, and uh, I think there's even reports out that AC Milan is going to wear a black Kobe badge, and uh, they said that they're going to do it regardless of whether the league says it's okay or not. It's always that I- Italian sort of uh, argumentative nature in them. They're like, we don't care if the league says yes, we're wearing it anyway. Um, so you know, you have this this guy uh, Kobe Bryant, who's who's larger than life, who had been to Galaxy games, um, who is who is such a guy in the Southern California area, and I say Southern California because not just L.A. where he was a Laker, but also Orange County down where I live, um, and uh, and his passing is is rippling through soccer players, basketball players, you know, professional sports, and and people who cover uh, cover those sports here in Southern California. Yeah, you know, soccer was really all, always his favorite sport. Um, I don't know how much he talked about that, but it clearly was. He went to he would go to the World Cup games and stuff. Uh, always was in the basketball off season. Uh, attended you know Olympic when he played for the Olympic team. I think he go to some of those Olympic soccer matches as well. Um, I don't know whether you saw the video Neymar after scoring a second goal in in PSG's win yesterday. 
ran over to the touchline and, and made the number 24 with his fingers. That was his tribute to Kobe, and then he pointed to the sky. There was also a video of Kobe at a PSG training session where he engaged in a little bit of a kickabout, and it was he, he is he was really good. Yeah, um, yeah. He and and then when you look at the number of players on social media, soccer personalities and players that have weighed in with their remembrances. I mean, it it runs the the gamut. We have Julian Green, former U.S. national team player, Demarcus Beasley, teams like Roma, Barcelona, um, um, Robbie Rogers, Chicharito. We have. Dosto Santos is weighing in. Right. Megan Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, Cristiano Ronaldo, Carly Lloyd, Gareth Bale, Steve Nash, um, another guy who played basketball but really loved soccer. Chris Smalling, uh, Jerome, uh, we have Boateng. Yep, that's uh, right. It just it, it everybody and Robbie Rogers shared a memory about when the first time that he met uh, Kobe Bryant was during the Olympic opening ceremony when uh, Kobe marched in and and uh, was with the the U.S. national soccer team, and uh, in in Robbie's recounting, he couldn't have been nicer. He talked to all the players, stayed there, took as many pictures as they wanted, signed autographs. Um, did not come off as it was at the Beijing Olympics, and said he did not come off as a star at all. And that he was very excited to come out and watch that soccer team play. Yeah, um, you also have to tie in the fact that why I think one of Kobe Bryant's last uh, media appearances was at MLS Media Day whenever they sort of uh, uh, announced the partnership with Kobe Bryant's uh, uh, body armor drink, I believe. Um, and so that is the official drink, I believe, of Major League Soccer. If I got all that, I, honestly, I ignored it at the time. And now you sit there and go back and say, oh, you know, that would have been, uh, been an interesting thing to sort of see. But he sat down with, you know, ESPN and some of the other, um, you know, Spanish language, uh, uh, you know, uh, reporters to talk about soccer and to talk about the yeah, importance of in soccer. English and Spanish. Yeah, yeah, di- and yeah, exactly. I mean, the guy speaks Italian and Spanish and English. Um, I think he speaks some Chinese as well. I'm because I, I well, we, he's big in China. Well, did you see Alicia Rodriguez, who is one of the best freelance soccer writers in Southern California now? Um, I believe is writing for uh, LA Galaxy Confidential, I think, yeah. or a number of other outlets with Bleacher Report. Anyway, she uh, had a chance to talk to Kobe at Media Day, and I think she was the one that asked him if he had a favorite team in LA, whether it was the galaxy or LAFC. And he smiled and said, ask me a better question. Right. Which uh, I thought was really a good, a good and interesting comeback. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, you know, he understands his place and, and, and sort of what was going on uh, in the soccer world and around it. And I think that, uh, you know, you saw him. We've seen him uh, at LA Galaxy trainings holding up a Steven Gerrard, uh, you know, kit. Uh, he's been at LA Galaxy games. You know, quite honestly, uh, you know, Gigi Bryant uh, as well, uh, you know, she, she's been to LA Galaxy games. So, I mean, it's just, it's a big vacuum. It's a big hole. And it, it just sucks. Um, the fact that, you know, really they call Staples Center the house that Kobe Bryant built. Um, which is an AEG property, and obviously AEG, the owners of the LA Galaxy. Um, if you saw at Dignity Health Sports Park, they put out a, uh, a picture and a photo today that showed, um, you know, the the message board on the outside, that's sort of right next to the team store that had, uh, you know, a picture of Kobe Bryant and you know, uh, basically his uh, his date of birth um, and his date of death, and and sort of you know is carrying on in remembrance of that. So uh, there's a lot of tie-ins to this. I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Uh, if you look at Kobe Bryant, his his birthday is August 23rd, um, and uh, this particular August 23rd this year, Kevin, will be in El Trafico, hosted at Dignity Health Sports Park, um, where the LA Galaxy will face off against well, LAFC. I mean, there's just little... 
I don't know. That's just more of a coincidence than anything else. But I saw that and thought that was kind of an interesting little take. Well, there's there may be another take on that too. And I, I realize by August the emotion will have you know will have uh, gone away, and it's not not that we're ever going to forget Kobe, but the, the what we're feeling right now is not going to be the same as what we're going to be feeling in August. And one of the things that touched me so much last night was watching the other basketball teams played and how they uh, they would purposely take a 24 second violation because Kobe wore 24 and then his other number was eight. So then the, the team that would win the ball would then take an eight second backcourt violation. So right. they took violations of 24 and eight seconds, Kobe's two numbers. You're right. That game, El Trafico at, at the dig is on the 23rd of August, 823. I saw some fans talking online today on Twitter about what if they moved that game to one day? What if they moved it back one day and played it on 824? Yeah. No, Kobe's that- two numbers. Um, I asked the Galaxy about that, and uh, they had said that they had not discussed it, that they hadn't thought about it. Um, my guess is they're probably not going to do that because, again, by August, this may have all sort of gone away. But, I mean, if they if they were to make that decision now and to, you know, make that Kobe Bryant day, and, and uh, yeah, I think they'd get a lot of uh, pats, pats on the back if they did it right now. Well, well, apparently, and I saw this tweeted out, I believe, by uh, the L.A. City uh, official Twitter account, uh, 824 is already Kobe Bryant day. So it is already, and I think that was back in 2016, they actually officially named 824, in the city of Los Angeles anyway. Um, you know, that that whole, that, that's Kobe Bryant Day. So anyway, it's 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 one of those things that I don't want to sit here and I don't want to spend a lot of time on. I'll be honest, um, you know, because he lived down in Orange County, I have a bunch of people who I know who knew him. Um, you know, I have, I've heard tons of stories about Vanessa, his wife, coming in uh, to different stores and different places where friends of mine own or, or operate and there and how nice everybody is and they really are a part of this, you know, Orange County community down here, as well as, you know, you look at the Orange Coast, uh, the OCC, the Orange Coast College, uh, community college baseball uh, coach. He was killed. His daughter was killed. His wife was killed in this. Uh, there was another uh, lady from Orange County who was a, uh, a, a basketball coach at a private uh, school down here as well. So it, it is, I, I feel like it's pretty close to me down here and it bums me really out. Um, I was not a huge basketball fan, Kevin, and I don't pretend to ever be um, a basketball fan, but I grew up watching Kobe Bryant play for the Lakers, and I enjoyed watching him win those championships, and I enjoyed watching him be dominant in the sport where, um, you know, at some point people thought maybe he wasn't going to be that dominant force. He came in being cocky, saying, I'm going to be better than Michael Jordan, and uh, he was right. Uh, but it took a little while uh, for for that to sort of play out. But it was that work ethic. So uh, it's just a little too it's a little too raw um, for for I think a lot of people. But I think that the soccer connection uh, has really sort of made this a, a a much wider connection than if he was just a basketball player who didn't talk about loving soccer and was pos- probably one of the first major sport athletes and certainly the biggest star. If you go back what twenty years ago, Kevin, that was unabashed in his love for soccer. Um, so it's, it's, it's certainly a, a story that, that crosses all lines and certainly here in Southern California, something, something that we can at least talk about for a little well, bit. I heard both speaking of Araujo and Zimmerman, both of them made very eloquent statements about Kobe and, and sort of what you're talking about, that he transcended basketball. They both talked about both of them speaking on different days. Uh, Julian spoke yes today and, and Walker Zimmerman spoke yesterday. They talked about the the Mamba mentality, and and Walker Zimmerman talked about how he heard, you know, he, he said we all grew up hearing stories about how dedicated Kobe was, and the fact that you know he would do gym, sessions in the gym at three in the morning, and he'd be working out at three in the morning. And Walker Zimmerman said, as a young player, he would tell himself, if Kobe can do it, 
if Kobe can work out at three in the morning, if Kobe feels the need to work out at three in the morning, then I better work out when it's dark or when it's uncomfortable or when it's, you know, raining or whatever. Um, and, you know, he used that to motivate him. And so it is one of those things that transcends sports and probably transcends professions, too. I mean, if you're if you if you're uh, the, the CEO of a company and you look at Kobe Bryant as being a you know, the, the CEO of basketball and he's working out at three in the morning, certainly that uh, you can cut your your night short and get to work early, too. Right. No, uh, all that makes sense. Um, very, very, you know, sad time in here. It'll be interesting to see sort of how um, how teams around Los Angeles sort of uh, remember Kobe Bryant and, and, and all those who were who were killed in the helicopter crash. So all, um, you know, just sad things right now. But we'll, we'll move on. You talk about Kobe training at 3 a.m. I don't think the Galaxy are training at 3 a.m. right now, Kevin. Almost, almost. <laughs> they train training twice a day. They are doing two-a-days, which we expected again under Valdecantos. This was uh, sort of the same thing that happened uh, last year. Uh, and we were watching and sort of preparing and readying ourselves for that as well, that this would happen um, again, that they would be working out, you know, twice a day uh, for the foreseeable future. And so that's what it seems like right now. We don't have a great uh, weekly schedule supposed to come out on Mondays. And so then we find out what sort of what everything else is going on uh, through the rest of the week. But we know two a days. Larry Morgan was out at training today. They were actually training out at the track and field stadium today. Uh, the reason they were training there is because U.S. soccer is uh, now back and in town for their February first game, and that means Sebastian Legette and Julian Araujo, both LA Galaxy players, back in at Dignity Health Sports Park, but they're playing on the fields out front. And so that's sort of why the switch is going on right now. So track and field stadium for the uh, the LA Galaxy team with the U.S. men's national team over on the U.S. soccer fields, which is where uh, the Galaxy usually trains. So uh, <laughs> that's what you're seeing. Uh, we also saw last week, Kevin, a little beach trip. I had uh, I had theorized per that perhaps there would be a beach trip, and there was a beach trip. Um, so the Galaxy doing a little off-site training, as they call it, uh, as well. And so they have that. But uh, one guy who apparently is not training uh, with everybody else, Kevin, is uh, is Chicharito, and uh, you have a little update on him. Yeah, apparently his visa is not uh, the visa paperwork is not done yet. The Galaxy not expecting that until next week. They're hopefully getting it early next week. I am told I have not visually confirmed this, but I'm told that Chicharito is now working on his own off to the side. I don't know what the rules are. I know until the paperwork is completed, he can't work with the team. But I don't know if that means the work he does off the side, whether he, he no coaches can be around or no teammates or I don't know how that works. It, that's an employment thing more than anything. It's not even necessarily, I believe, like a FIFA thing. Uh, usually FIFA just demands that you have an ITC on that, the International Transfer Certificate. But the visa to actually be employed in the United States, you need that P1 visa in order to be employed. And so technically he can't do quote unquote work until he has that visa. So I wonder if just training off to the quote-unquote side. All of these are in quotation marks. I fully imagine that Chicharito's out there at least doing something. Um, well, you know, that is, I, I, that wa is I wonder what passport he has. And, and this is a serious question. I, I would assume he has a Mexican passport, although he did spend a lot of time in, you know, he's been in Europe for 10 years now. He was at Manchester United, you know, in England. Then he was played in Germany, and he's been in Spain twice. And, and I ask that seriously because, um, you know, as a Mexican uh, – when a lot of this stuff goes, the paperwork goes through, um, you know, some pencil pusher looks at it and it comes up as a category. Mexican man wants to seek, you know, seeks job and he has a job in the United States and wants to immigrate and needs a visa paperwork. And I'm, I'm just wondering, given the current political climate, whether 
that could cause Chicharito some problem, where if he had an, an English or German passport, it might make it easier for him. Yeah, I, I would say that normally if those go in blind in terms of if you just turn them in and it was nobody, I, I happen to know that the Galaxy are actually very good at getting visas and getting paperwork on, on players, and I have to imagine that they have some sort of contact. Um, you know, at the embassies in order to push this paperwork through. So that way it's somebody of knowledge, at least understands where it's coming from, um, you know, in these areas. But uh, I'll tell you, uh, one of the things you're seeing around the league right now, Kevin, is that teams are going hard after those green cards. Um, lots of people are turning, you know, players who come in over uh, that come in on P1 visas and turning them into green cards, so the legal residents. Um, and that means that you can remove the international tag from them in Major League Soccer, and you're seeing teams do that all throughout uh, Major League Soccer and seeing a bunch of announcements on that. And uh, one reporter commented and basically said, you know, things that used to take 12 to 18 months now can be done in 8 to six months um really so so really shrinking that timeline down and my question is for a team like the galaxy who used to be so good at doing that green card trick i mean uh juninho uh marcelo sarvas um i'm sure there's some others i think robbie Keane, possibly even david beckham all got green cards so are the galaxy not playing that game anymore because there's certainly some guys on this team you would expect to pop to be ready for those green cards jonathan dos santos certainly pops to mind first of all um, more than anything. And so if you sit there and say, okay, you have some guys who have been in the United States for a while, if you're not using that as a roster tool, then then what what's the holdup? Other teams are, and they're gaining an advantage from it. So are the LA Galaxy also going to do that to try to gain an advantage out of it? Well, and it, it behooves uh, the player to do that. I mean, a green card is not citizenship. You're not renouncing your citizenship in, in you know, in, in Ghana or Mexico or Germany, wherever you come from. It's it it's a green card. You can go back to your home country, and again, you're not renouncing that citizenship, but it does give you the ability and the right to stay here legally long term. You know, if that's what you choose to do, and if you want to play here, or in Chicharito's case, and you know, let's with the Dos Santos brothers as well. I would guess with Carlos Vela, I, th I think these guys are they're all very young guys. You know, when you think about maybe not as players, but in in in, the, in their age, they're all in the you know around thirty. Um, these guys are going to be going back and forth across the border probably for the rest of their lives, whether they're coming here for award ceremonies because they have a house here, whatever it is, that green card is going to make that a lot easier. Yeah. And, and same would go for every player. It's it's one a fight I used to have with baseball agents back in my baseball days when they would they'd set some of these Cuban defectors up in third countries rather than immediately get them, uh, you know, immigration status in the U.S. And I always thought that was short-sighted because – by setting up their residency in the Dominican Republic or Nicaragua or wherever else they did it, those guys could be deported at any time. Whereas if you bring them to the United States, I mean, the agents would say, well, they're going to get millions of dollars more in, in their, when they sign a contract. But how many millions of dollars is it worth to be able to stay legally in the United States? I think that's a pretty good deal, too. Yeah, and, and, and outside of any of just those, I mean, just the roster ramifications are huge, especially for an LA Galaxy team right now that is currently one player over an international uh, See, slot. you're thinking about the team, team and I'm thinking about the, you're thinking about you know, people. The, the, the welfare of these guys' families. You're so you're you're way better person than I'm me, obviously. I'm just I'm just talking about, you know, hey, if you're if you're waging, uh, you know, uh, I, I should say soccer war, and I shouldn't even say that because there actually was a soccer war. Um, if, if you're out there trying to be the best, then you have to use all of these roster mechanisms to your favor, and the Galaxy seem to have a perfect chance to use some of these some of these roster things, and they need to do it because other teams are doing it, and you're seeing it. Um, but hey, the the other thing that I saw you tweet out today was also about Chicharito, and it talked about um, you know we've talked about the impact his signing has had on 
uh, on just the, the SoCal region and, and the regionality of this. North America is is an important part of, of sort of, you know, the Javier Hernandez story and how successful he's going to be. And uh, I know on Thursday uh, we talked about how many reporters were there um, and how many cameras were there and how it was, you know, a crazy, a, a really crazy scene. Thinking about going back and going back to Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who is, I as I've said many times, is a bigger world figure than than Chicharito is. Um, there were not the same cameras there that were there uh, for Javier Hernandez on his uh, his media day. So they're having a real impact, but that seems to also be now impacting the LA Galaxy's bottom line in a positive way, which we kind of assumed would be. But you have some numbers. Yeah, well, you know, keep in mind that Southern California is home to six million Mexican and Mexican Americans. It's the largest concentration of Mexicans outside Mexico City. So there's a ready-made audience here. That's why Liga MX games do so well here, as opposed to European soccer or even MLS. So what has happened in the in the last two weeks? So this goes back to when we were all writing about Chicharito signing, but before there was a contract uh, that had been turned in. So this is the lead up to the signing and then the, uh, the week following the signing. During that period, first of all, remember last year with Zlatan, the Galaxy had a 5% decline in average attendance. So that's with Zlatan, who's arguably the most dominant player in league history. Right. And, and, and they had a good season. They went to the playoffs. Attendance went down 5%. Um, since in the two weeks around Chicharito signing, the, the team got 750 new season sold 750 new season ticket packages, and the the, the Galaxy have been kind of squirrely on the numbers there. But we know it's uh, just south of 10,000 is their season uh, their season ticket number. So 750, you know, they're they're close to a 10% rise in season ticket sales just in the last two weeks. Um, and they sold 2,500 individual game tickets in the last two weeks. Uh, that's pretty significant. It's just starting. And and I think once, you know, there's news of Chicharito on the field training, maybe practice games, you know, friendlies, all that, I think that number's going to go up. Yeah, it, it seems to be. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting to try to measure that impact. We, we certainly talked about, uh, you know, the jerseys. And I was on a, a podcast last night talking to two guys and, one of them uh, sort of came on and said, hey, um, you know, I'll tell you what this means is that whenever my wife found out that Chicharito was signing for the L.A. Galaxy, she told me, OK, I want a jersey and the two kids want a jersey and I'm sure you want one, too. He goes, so, you know, if you think about it, the Galaxy got me for like 500 bucks whenever you look at all the jerseys. And you know who gets that money? I was told by a very high ranking Galaxy official who would definitely know Um that Chicharito has a well has side deals as you would imagine with all of his different marketers, just like Zlatan did. Right. But one of the deals he has is with Adidas uh, that it deals with the number of Galaxy jerseys with his name on it that gets sold. So every time you buy a Chicharito jersey, everybody out there, a little bit of that money goes right into Chicharito's pocket. I mean, you know, I, I feel like that's how it should always be. Whenever you look at some of these guys, I mean, you know, why shouldn't Daniel Starris get a twenty dollar bill every time somebody you know sells he sells one of his jerseys and somebody buys it? Um, all of these things seem like you know you're you're making money off the player. Why not? And and we talked about you know Chicharito and the six million dollar base salary and how that certainly seems easy enough uh, by all accounts from from people we've talked to to get to that seven and a half million dollar number pretty quickly. So well, I, I'm I'm told now, and and I'm the one spreading that seven and a half million dollars. Yes. And <clears throat> so I I need to clarify that I went to a number of Galaxy people and and asked them about that number, and I was told that it was all accurate. That $6 million was the base. That's true. We know that's true. Right. And that he could make more than $1.2 uh, $1. which would take him over Zlatan's right. 
number. That was the that was the question. Is he going to make more than Zlatan? And they said, with the bonuses, which are all easily achievable, yes, he will go past Zlatan. Now I'm told that it, it he won't. That okay. just the MLS money. Now that may not. Maybe maybe the the everyone has to hide these figures, and I don't know why they do that. They right. don't do it in any other sport. But uh, everyone is very careful about talking about the figures. Perhaps with the Adidas money, which we don't know what that will be, jer- jersey sales, maybe he does get up to 7.5. And to me, that's part of the contract. He came to the Galaxy, and he he's selling Galaxy jerseys. Therefore, that's money that he gets because he came to the Galaxy. Now, you can say, well, that comes from Adidas. It doesn't come from MLS. Um, but, yeah, he doesn't get that money unless he's with the Galaxy. So I right. think it all goes in one package. Anyway, just I'm told that the 7.5 figure is not accurate. I have my doubts. I think when you add in the Adidas money, it probably is. But I'm going to back away from using that. I'm just going to stay with right. the six million dollar base, and we'll see what happens after that. All right. Well, that's fine. We can we can still we'll try to get his tax returns next. Year. That's that's what we'll do. We'll do that if he know. runs for president. We have to turn him in. No, apparently not. Um. So that's uh. So no. I mean, that's all interesting. I you know, if you're talking about 750 in the span of two weeks, Kevin, that's a that's a large shift. Um. That's a that's a measurable difference. Um, in just a small amount of time, and and so is the twenty five hundred single games, you know, tickets as well. Um, all of those, and and we've talked about it for so long. In a stadium that holds twenty five thousand, let's just pretend that's the number because it makes math easier. Uh, for a stadium that holds twenty five thousand, uh, and Galaxy having season ticket holders of ten thousand, right? Let's just give them ten thousand and call it that. That means that it, for every game, in order to be a sellout, you have to sell fifteen thousand individual tickets or tickets that are to groups or group sales or however you want to do that. But basically, and they've done. Really- really well at that right um, amazingly well i mean yes people i people whenever you start putting the numbers in front of fans and start telling them what the galaxy have to do for every single game in order for it to be you know a sellout or close to a sellout um it makes a it makes a huge difference um you know a huge difference uh, with what they're able to do. So it's all those single games. It's all the, that ability to sort of sit there and and really take this stuff and, and you know, mold this into a, a sellout every time. And it's the sales there that are happening that, that makes that happen. Well, the Galaxy have uh, three of their first five games, three of their first four games are home games. I, I'm going to predict right now that all, all of those games sell out. Yeah. Um, but... Do they sell out in August and September? And and I mean that's a serious question. I think Chicharito is a phenomenon, and I think he's, as I just said, he's going to definitely goose attendance at the start. He already has, but is he? Mm-hmm. When you see Chicharito once, especially if you're, uh, you know, a Mexican League fan or Mexican national team fan, uh, and so you want to see him play, do you then keep coming back, or do you see him once and then? Or twice, and then that's your fill, and then you don't come back anymore. That, I think that's the real question. I, I think that's always been the question, Kevin. Uh, that's always been something that we've we've sort of watched. It was back in the David Beckham years as well. Is how many people does David Beckham convert into Galaxy, into an actual Galaxy fan? Um, all these things are are always the questions. It's you know how many people did Giovanni dos Santos convert? How many people did Robbie Keane convert? Um, you know you have people who have this individual. Uh, flair or famousness, especially like Chicharito, so big. Um, I, like I said, you're going to see some of the the Chivas jerseys coming back into Dignity Health Sports Park because he, well, you know, he played at Chivas in Mexico. Um, that's a thing that's going to happen. And so, can you convert those Chivas jerseys though to Galaxy jerseys? And that's sort of that's where everything always goes in. I would say.
say it's probably a lot less than the number people think it is. It certainly was during the Beckham years. Um, I think it certainly was during Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane brought some people in, but how many people stayed Galaxy fans whenever Robbie Keane left? Um, you know, the same thing with uh, with with Chicharito and, and Giovanni Dos Santos and, and everybody else is it's always about that conversion factor and trying to get that conversion factor and trying to convert those people into it. The, the argument has always been, well, of course they convert people into Galaxy fans, but what are those numbers actually? And I don't even know if they have those numbers or they'll ever have those numbers, but it's at least something that you have to discuss is what is the conversion rate here? When you bring in a big star, he sells a bunch of jerseys. Um, you know, how many season tickets? And right now you're seeing that people are saying not just that Chicharito is a big enough name to garner them going to the stadium, Kevin. You're saying that people right now, uh, at least 750 people, and whether it was a direct result of Chicharito or not, those are the numbers we're getting. 750 times uh, they said, we want to see him for 18 games or, you know, 20-something games, however many are, are included in the in the season ticket book. Well, yeah, I think they, you said you don't know if they're for Chicharito. I don't think they're for Katai. I'm pretty sure they're for Chicharito. <laughs> um, but this is kind of a, a ticket sale person's or a marketer's dream. What you always hear from people like that is we just want them to sample the product. Right. You know, that's why they give food away at Costco, mm -hmm. sample the product. And we're, we're convinced that it's so good that you are now going to spend money and come back. Uh, and it's the same in soccer. And we know the formula that works uh, because we've seen it at, uh, at, with the galaxy and we've seen it up the freeway with LAFC. Two things. I think one is a good team, a good product. Yes. They may have come to see Robbie Keane or David Beckham in those days, but they stayed because the team was so good and they were fun to watch and they were exciting and they won and, you know, they were the best team. And it, it was, and, you know, we all remember those times, you know, three championships in four years with Robbie Keane, you know, and Landon Donovan. I think people came back because the team was exciting and fun to watch. Um, and then up the freeway, you know, LAFC has a very good team. But I think what draws fans back there is the atmosphere with the 3252. Now, the Galaxy have that this year. They're going to have a standing supporter section on the Victoria block. So, you know, if the Galaxy can create that atmosphere and if the team can be exciting and win, um, people will come to see Chicharito and they'll say, you know what, I had a great time. Uh, you know, and, and Chicharito hurts his ankle and can't play, they still come back. Because why? Because they had a good time. They saw good soccer. They had a lot of fun. There's a lot of stuff about Dignity Health Sports Park. I mean, there's ample parking. It's fairly easy to get to. I mean, you know, people talk about the stadium experience. There's a lot of positive things about Dignity Health Sports Park that if you go and sample it and you have a good time, I think you will come back. And so now the Galaxy have a chance to make that happen. I think the Galaxy and, and even LAFC, I think they all fall under the same, you know, same sort of rules, which is you have to have people you're interested in watching and then the team has to be good. And if you have one of those things lacking, you're going to have a lack of intent of attendance. Um, and I think that goes true. That's usually true for most teams. Uh, I imagine that Atlanta United, if they weren't very good and please, they panicked last year whenever uh, whenever they were stumbling, uh, quote unquote. And I think they still won uh, won what two trophies last year. Um, but whenever you're looking at it, they stumbled to that. Uh, there was panic in that. But I think if you see Atlanta United have uh, you know a couple off years, you're not going to get the seventy thousand people at that stadium anymore. Uh, you know, you're going to get forty or 50 um, and that's just the way it goes and that's the way it should go quite honestly is that the product on the field will still determine whether or not you are successful in the stands and that seems like a like a hard and fast rule nobody goes to watch crappy soccer well and there's two other examples of that in southern california that just occurred to me um which i'm not sure if any of our models work because one of the things <laughs> i'm saying that that dignity that the dig has going for it is 
uh, again, no social or no uh, um, public transportation, but everyone in Southern California drives anyway. So, I mean, it's a lot of a lot of parking, easy to get to, you know, three freeways right there. Um, so that's great, you know, and if you can get to the stadium and have a good time, you'll come back. But what is the team that, that leads uh, all, you know, um, baseball in attendance every year? And, and actually all sports, when you look at season attendance, it's the Dodgers. And they have an exciting team. I used to love going to watch Yasiel Puig and go and see Clayton Kershaw pitch. But, man, talk about a bad stadium experience. Yes. It's always so crowded. It's hard to get in and out. You spend more time in the parking lot trying to get out than you did watching the game, which is why everyone comes late and leaves early. Um, yet they sell 4 million tickets every year. I know. Down the freeway, the best player in baseball, Mike Trout, great stadium, great stadium experience, easy to get to. They don't do nearly as well. So no, they don't. Who knows? I, I think baseball's the only uh, the only sport that doesn't worry about attendance as much as all the rest of them. There's too many baseball games, and there's too many you know uh, midweek gotta get away games, which are you know played at like 1 p.m. Um, and so I just don't think that their attendance. You you'd see it in the NFL though. Like if there's a stadium, there's nobody there. There's there's panic, right? There's well, like well, oh. He- Here's my theory. When you look at the stadiums, and, and MLS does this too, when you look at the soccer-specific stadiums, they're they're small. I understand they want to create an atmosphere. But when you look at baseball stadiums, you know, 50 and 60,000-seat stadiums, like in Cleveland, being uh, replaced by 35,000 or 40,000-seat stadiums, uh, two things I think happen in that. One is if you have fewer tickets, supply and demand, fewer tickets, those tickets uh, can be sold for much more money. But the bigger thing is, if you can't get a ticket to the game, you're going to watch on TV. And uh, as we know, sports is now run by the broadcasters. That's yes. where the revenue comes from, the TV rights. So if you tell um, you know, your broadcast partner, look, we're going to build a smaller stadium. There's going to be 20,000 people that used to go to all the games last year. They can't get it anymore because there's no more seats, and we're going to jack up the ticket prices. But your TV audience is going to swell because people still love our team. I mean, that's when you look at the marketing and the the economics of sports, that's a win-win. The TV ratings go up. The TV uh, uh, broadcasters can charge more money for their product because the ratings are up. The team gets that money, and they create an atmosphere in the stadium that is much more exciting because the stadium is smaller, and 40,000 people in a 40,000-seat stadium is much better than 40,000 in a 60,000-seat stadium. That's my theory. Uh, I've never really tested That's it. What I was going to say, yeah, kind of holds together. I mean, uh, hey, hey, I have theories that I, you know, believe are absolutely 100 percent true. That whenever you start testing them, I'm sure they fall apart. But um, that's that's sort of how you you look at these things. Uh, let's go on to a little bit more galaxy news. A couple of different things. Uh, there is a new head of sports science. Uh, Phil Hayward has departed uh, the Wolverhampton Wanderers of the English Premier League, so Wolves, uh, to become a head of sports science at Dignity Health Sports Park. There, uh, guess where? The, guess where he's from? Uh, Where's he from? Manchester. We Ma- have a long talk. Oh, of course, of course, Manchester. So, uh, so that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. And the bat phone is ringing. You have to answer that. Is this one of those where you have breaking news again? No, I just picked up and put it down. It's probably a telemarketer. That's usually what it is, anyway. We're gonna leave that in. Yeah, why not? Okay. Why not? This is, you know what? It's it's raw. This is how it's supposed to go sometimes. Um, but anyway, so Phil Hayward has come up. This is a guy who was in charge of the um, the head of medical, or basically the head of sports science at Wolves for 11 and a half years, who departed Wolves for Los Angeles. By the way, I'm not saying Wolverhampton uh, Wolverhampton isn't as nice as Los Angeles, but. I mean, there's, there's clearly a quality of, uh, of life to those two places. Uh, but he departs it while the, while Wolves are in seventh place. 
uh, in EPL. I mean, you're talking about getting a guy where where Wolves and, and certainly they're climbing up the table, um, even though the English Premier League season is basically over already. Um, if you look but at they that, they could still get a European berth. They they could, and so but you look at uh, at what Wolves does. So they he left Wolves after 11 and a half years, and now is over um, with the LA Galaxy. He was actually pictured, and uh, I think in an Associated Press uh, photo, or it was uh, during the during the Chicharito thing. He was actually uh, pictured in there, and then that sort of came up, and that's why it was uh, it was sort of put out there. I did confirm with the LA Galaxy. It is true. Um, so Phil Hayward has uh, now become the head of sports science uh, for the LA Galaxy, which is an interesting uh, position, especially when you realize that uh, injuries certainly took their toll over the last couple seasons. Um, so perhaps the LA Galaxy trying to upgrade in those. Uh, this doesn't mean anything in terms of you know Javier Valdecantos is still there. Uh, that hasn't changed anything at all. As a matter of fact, uh, but the sports science department for the LA Galaxy, Kevin, continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So sports medicine and science department is is starting to swell. Whenever I first started covering the LA Galaxy, I think there were probably like four guys. Um, as you look at it now, I don't know. It looks like 10 or 12 because uh, you have head strength and conditioning coach. You have Javier Valdecantos, the performance coach. You have William Sparks, the sports scientist. You have Brooke Ellison, the sports performance dietitian. You have Nicolette Leffler, the sports performance dietitian and education coordinator. Uh, you have Cesar Roldan, who is, I believe, the brother of... of uh, he absolutely is. Yeah, of what's his Christian, name? Roldan. Christian Roldan. Yeah, Christian Roldan up in... Uh, the U.S. In, national team. Yep. Uh, and he's the assistant athletic trainer. Uh, you have uh i swear to god i had a guy who uh who had the last name of shimizu shimuzu and we called him shimmy all the time so i saw this uh but he's a, he's a chiropractor and scar tissue specialist you have a chief medical officer who's bert mandelbaum who actually probably reconstructed some uh, at least two of the uh two of the legs there we go now we have a dog barking too yeah, that's Chicharita. There you go. See, we got we got all of it. Um, so we have all of the stuff. So you look at this. This this sports medicine continues to just grow and become bigger and bigger. It seems like the LA Galaxy doing more at least to try and continue that. So, but you said bigger, and many times you said bigger. No one ever said better. It's got to get better. <laughs> it does. There were just far too many injuries last year. And when we when you started talking uh, at, at the start of this podcast about Valdecantos, I had to hold my tongue a little bit. And but now you you give me another in. You're welcome. You know. They worked so hard last year under Valdo Cantos, and then the season started, and it, I, I just didn't see the benefit of it. I mean, all that hard preseason work, and then guys are getting injured. Yes, they were fit, but were they overfit? And uh, and, and that I, I don't say that as a joke. I mean, sometimes you get athletes to to they're on such a razor's edge between fitness and 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 uh, not weakness, but w when you get that fit, sometimes I know a guy that was. Uh, training to run a four minute mile and he, all of his workouts were just great. And the day before the big race, when he was going to run four minutes for the first time, he stepped off a curb and broke his ankle. And it was just because he was so fit that his body was on, on that razor's edge that just one little blow, uh, you know, could really hurt him. And I don't know that that necessarily happened. What maybe those injuries would have happened anywhere anyway, but I didn't really feel the benefit of, of Val Cantos last year with, with all these injuries. And perhaps that's why the sports science department is getting bigger. They, you know, teams realize we're spending all this money on players and they're getting hurt. Maybe we should throw a, a few thousand dollars more over the sports science department to keep these assets, which they really are on the field. Yeah. I will say another thing with the sports science and the, and the medical department is I do think it's going to be a better place to be this year. Um, you know, Zlatan had his own guys in last year, which is fine. He had the money to do that. He had the reputation to do that. The, the career 
you know, this is not a knock on Zlatan. Um, if that's what he wanted to do and that's what made him good, then then he should do that. But it did cause a rift in the sports science department with some of the players saying, how come I can't see that guy? How come I have to see this guy? How come that guy has a private guy? Um, this year, everyone, it sounds like they're going to be on the same page. I don't see Chicharito coming in with his own with his own athletic training department. I, I think it was well documented how much of a... Uh... Uh, it's even it's hard. It's an individual Zlatan Ibrahimovic was, you know, in the locker room. We've always said that. Uh, that's both a positive and a negative for him. I don't see that as as something that you know absolutely ruins everything. Uh, but whenever you have Chicharito, and certainly what he's saying is he comes to be a team player, and he doesn't care if he scores goals. Obviously, his job is to score goals. Obviously, he thinks he's going to score goals. But you know, at the bottom line is, if the team wins, then he's a happy camper that he he did his job and he got the team to win. And so uh, that's his mentality. I think that this is going to be a much more cohesive it already feels like it's already a more cohesive uh team did you catch a little dig at Zlatan and I'm not sure if no. he intended it that way. No, I didn't. I think people are trying to find it like that if you really really want to connect it um you know, I think he was taking a dig at people who saying that you know, he's coming for the money. Um, I think that's where the dig is. He's saying no. He goes, I'm not somebody who's going to be here for a couple of years and not, you know, and not what? not win not win things. I want to win things. I want to be here, and I, you know, and I think he wants to be here for a long time. It certainly seems that way. Yeah, it was uh, just to remind people. He he made a comment uh, about how he didn't come here just to score a bunch of goals and leave after two years without winning anything. That he said, I prefer to score 20, 15, or even 10 goals and help this team get a championship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, if you want to see that as shade to Zlatan, you can. But there's, to me, where's the motivation for him to come in and and try to chip at Zlatan? There's no, there's no positives for him to do that. Um, and he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would do it. So in my mind, that's I, I I throw that out. I saw people trying to make that a thing, and I'm just I'm just not one of those people who thinks it's a thing. I just it's hard. It's just like the retirement thing. I'm like if you just put that within any context of the conversation that he had, um, then it makes 100% sense. And, and to me, if you're sitting there saying that that makes you worried, that means that what you did was you read what somebody wrote about it, and you didn't watch the video and put it into context. Because in context, you put his retirement quote in there, and you're like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. 100%. Well, I understand. What I, you're I Luis Gomez from ESPN, former national team player who played a lot in Mexico and, and I, I believe played, well, definitely played against Chicharito at some point. Anyway, he was telling me that um, he believes Chicharito is going to score about 15 goals, which is about what I have. That's kind of my over under too. But he, he also said, he agreed with me that he thinks that Chicharito scoring 15 goals and you look at Zlatan, that's 30, that's only half, but that the team is going to be way better with Chicharito for a number of different reasons. So, you know, Chicharito does make the point that his idea is to score fewer goals but have a better team, and everyone seems to kind of agree that that's likely to happen, that the team is just going to play in a different way, and you're not going to make up those 30 goals that Zlatan took. Are, are the 43 goals, the team's lost 43 goals since last year, and they only scored 58 with players leaving. You're not going to make up all those goals with Chicharito or any of the other additions, Katai or anyone else, but the team is going to play different, and they're going to be better and people wondering about the defensive liabilities, yeah, the team really needs some help on the back line. They definitely need another center back given the schedule they're going to play. But um, it, when I talked to Dennis and other people around the team, their response was, you know, you, you the defense is affected by a lot of different things, not just the four guys that you put out there. It's the style of play. Do, do your frontline guys track back? Do your midfielders play defense? How does, you know, what's the style of play of the team? That's going to change with Chicharito too. It's not going to be just winging high balls into the box for Zalatan. The team is going to play a lot different too. That's going to affect the defense. And Dennis seems to think that the defense is going to be a team game this year. And so 
the four guys on the back line are not as important as the team scheme. And, and he believes that it's going to be better this year, even if he doesn't sign another guy, Yeah, which I, I hope, hope he does. Yeah. Yeah. I think he, he has intentions to, we'll see if that ends up happening. Um, no, I, you know, it, it, it makes some sense. You certainly see it. I'll say for all of the FIFA uh, players out there, all of the, uh, the, our video gamers, all of our gamers out there, I know that you love this. Uh, I'll tell you that, you know, they did update the rosters. Chicharito is on that roster. Now, uh, Insua is on the roster. Uh, Katai is on the roster. So you could basically, start putting your formations together uh, as you see fit and see how that works on the video game, uh, which I may have done a couple times to sort of see how that all works out. So, how did it work? Uh, actually, so the funny thing is that I was playing before Chicharito was added to the roster, and it was it was a little tough to get any sort of uh, anything going for, for you there. Um, so it was difficult to score some goals uh, with Chicharito on the roster, obviously, and playing in a 4-3-3. Um, it does some things. It did some things, and again, this is a video game. I don't know how much we can take away from it, but it did open my eyes to something is that the late run and Jonathan Dos Santos in sort of an attacking 4-3-3 formation really sets up Jonathan Dos Santos and Sebastian Legette to be in positions to score goals. Um, well, I'm interested. You got me really interested in this. What who was, what was your starting lineup and what was your formation? You said 4-3-3. How, how would you set that up? Yeah, so Chicharito was at the was basically at the top in the center, right? So he's there. Um, the center forward. Yeah, he's your center forward. Um, and then on the left-hand side, you would have Pavone. On the right-hand side was Katai. Um, so those are your attacking three who would also fall back into it. Uh, your center positions there are Sebastian Legette, Joe Corona, and Jonathan Dos Santos, which all makes sense. Uh, and then your back line four is in Sua on the left. Uh, you would have People Gonzalez right now as a center back, and you have Daniel Stairs as a center back, and you would have Rolf Felcher, I believe, at least for now, uh, being the starting right back over there, and then maybe perhaps Julian Rajo coming in. But that's how it sets up. Um, and, and where's Shelvick? Shelvick, I told you. I've, it, there's, you know, you know. Did you know the bet? The bet that's going on with me right now. I said that if Shelvick is still on this roster by the time, and I can't believe I keep saying, I'm hope I should probably hope people forget. If Shelvick is still on the roster by the time the season starts, that I have to do a show without my shirt. That was I said. I said there's no way it's happening. I'm telling you, it's not happening. He's not going to be on this roster. The Galaxy have have telegraphed it in every possible way they could possibly have. Uh, it's just a matter of actually moving him and well, and getting whoever him made that bet with you is clearly it's blind because nobody wants to see you without your shirt on. I know. Well, that was sort of me. Was the whole thing. I made it for everybody. I'm punishing everybody who has to watch that. If that's the case, the white balance is going to be very difficult to sort of uh, put together here. It's going to yeah, be speaking of be, Norway. Yeah. There you go. So uh, so that's what we have. So. Anyway, that's what it is. But I'm telling you that it does, it, you know, it's funny because it's a video game, but whenever you're playing, there are some, there's some tactical things that happen in the game still that are probably pretty accurate. And one of those things is that Jonathan Dos Santos and Sebastian Legette, I've found, have been a lot more open at the top of the box whenever you have runs from Chicharito to the front or back post. And whenever you have service coming in from Katai and Pavone on the other sides, that opens up those guys to be there. Uh, even Joe Corona. Uh, scoring goals from there to, as, as well. So, I mean, th I think that's where you have to expect the LA Galaxy to get better is they have the attacking front three, which I think is envious of, of most teams in Major League Soccer, but what's behind that? Uh, always having a strong spine seems to be important for the LA Galaxy. Uh, and it's important for most teams. So with Jonathan Dos Santos in there, you can say, yeah, with Sebastian Legette, if he can take a step forward offensively, then yeah. And then you have to look at who your center backs are and do you have a strong enough spine uh, down that way. And I think that's the big question right now is who else they're going to bring in to sort of solidify that defense and whether it's anybody. Yeah, um, they need depth. And, and, and Sebastian Legette can score. He, he Last year, I don't think he was asked to score. I mean, I, I, I think he's proven that he can score if that's the way you want to use him. And he cannot score if you want to use him in a different way. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. Well, the LA Galaxy uh, didn't announce this, but I can confirm it. 
Um, the LA Galaxy look to be playing, actually, the LA Galaxy will be playing on uh, a closed-door scrimmage against the Vancouver Whitecaps. Vancouver put it up on their website, which sort of uh, had everybody start looking around and, and asking questions. Uh, closed-door scrimmage at Dignity Health Sports Park on Tuesday, February 4th. That's just four days before the open training, um, which happens at Dignity Health Sports Park, and the debut of the Victoria Block, and all of that should be done and, uh, and open for everybody to see. So that's an LA Galaxy open training and post-training barbecue uh, Saturday, February 8th. Make sure you RSVP, talk to your uh, your season ticket guys, any of that, so that way you can get in there. It's going to be a lot more crowded. It is. It's going to be a lot more season ticket holders. There's going to be I, – well, I already think that that's going to be a pretty big event. Uh, the jerseys themselves, I think, get released on February 2nd, and that's MLS-wide. Now, granted, everybody already knows what the LA Galaxy home kit looks like um, because they got to release it whenever they signed Chicharito. Um but this looks like, uh, you know, this will be when all of them will be officially available February 2nd. So that sort of goes February 2nd, February 4th, February 8th. Basically, we're trying to tell you that everything here seems to be ramping up in that direction. Um, then you have your first official preseason game for the LA Galaxy on Saturday, February 15th. Uh, that's a doubleheader. Chicago Fire versus Colorado Rapids will kick off at 12 p.m. And then at 3 p.m., it's the LA Galaxy versus Toronto FC. Um, I would suggest you go and make a day of it and watch uh, a bunch of soccer. That sounds like fun. Uh, and then Saturday, February 22nd. And of course, everybody remembers this day because we have our live show at the stadium that day on 2:22 at 2 p.m. Uh, we will have our live show on the corn concourse. We'll start solidifying details as the month uh, continues to tick away here and sort of tell you exactly where we'll be on the concourse. But you want to plan on being there at 2 p.m. But again, you should be there early because Toronto FC is playing against the Colorado Rapids at 12 p.m. The LA Galaxy will kick off against Chicago Fire at 3 p.m. And then guess what, boys and girls? That's a week from the start of the season, supposedly, except that Kevin maybe not uh, we've been talk- oh. we've been talking a little bit uh, before we started about the labor situation we've ter- certainly been updating people on the CBA and everything else but um, I'm sure you have a have a nice nice fun update as well well not really it, it just we've been told all along that a lot of progress is being made and that the union and, and management seem to be negotiating in good faith and seem to be kind of on the same side I'm hearing that uh, a recent meeting uh, kind of got blown up and that the, the management side is is now starting to dig in their heels a little bit. It surprised a lot of people. It felt like a, an agreement was 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 going to happen. Before, the CBA expires January 31st, and it, they felt like a, there was a good chance an agreement would get done before January 31st. It, this may not be related at all, but I was talking to some players with the Seattle Sounders over the weekend, and they're down training in Southern California. I talked to them on Saturday, and they were supposed to have a union meeting. That's someone from the union. They travel to all the, uh, the, the training camps and meet with the players during training camp. Their meeting was supposed to be Saturday afternoon, and it was abruptly canceled. I don't know if that has anything to do with, with this latest little snafu, but there is another meeting scheduled um, late, uh, well, I, th- I believe tomorrow, sometime this week, another meeting scheduled, um, and we'll see if any progress gets made. But if not, the 31st is the deadline. And when you look at it, you know, everyone has a little bit to lose with this. There's there's really no winners when there's a – if there would be a work stoppage now, just, just to make sure everyone understands what happens. They can continue if both sides decide that they're, they're negotiating and that there's a chance for an agreement. They can continue working under the rules from the old CBA. There has to be some rules in place. If a player gets hurt during training camp, if somebody gets cut, you know, there, there, there are rules about how that's handled, whether they get paid, who plays for the travel expenses, all that. So there has to be some sort of CBA in place. If they don't have a new one by February 1st, both sides can agree to work under the auspices of the old one. If they don't do that, 
that's when you get into the labor stoppage where you either the, the management comes in and says, we're not going to abide by the old CBA. We're going to lock the gates. You guys can't come in and train. Or the players say, we don't like the old CBA. We're not going to train until we get a new one. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. I think both sides feel good about this. I don't think there's going to be a lockout. But um, if, if things did go south a little bit, I mean, think of all the things that you're losing, all the growth in MLS, largest attendance ever last year, uh, all these new teams coming in, Inner Miami with David Beckham, Chicharito here, the great season that LAFC had last year. Um, you know, that's got a lot of attention. Atlanta's attendance, um, you know, the new deal with Liga MX to have their all-stars play here. Um, the new tournaments that they have going on. And remember, CONCACAF Champions League starts in mid-February. There's a good chance that the you know the players or management might say, we're not going to allow the players to go play in those games unless we have an agreement. So there's a lot on the line that needs to be done in a very in very short order if those CONCACAF Champions League games are going to go off without a hitch. Yeah, and, and we talked about February 29th and you know the chances that the LA Galaxy's first game against the Houston Dynamo could be canceled. Um, that's all, all a possibility. You know, so There's another one, Chicharito going to Houston. Yes. You know? do, do, does MLS really want to not have that game played? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. No, you're, you're sitting there and what a what a big kickoff that now becomes and even even more. Um, and Houston Dynamo fans are ticked off that you know the, the Houston didn't try to make a move for Chicharito as well. Um, so it, it's just, it's one of those things you look at and say there's a lot to lose from a lot of different sides. Uh, I still have always felt that the players have wanted to flex their their stoppage muscle, that they wanted to sort of see if they could hurt the owners. Uh, they've never done it, and this may be the time that they flex that muscle, whether that's good or bad. Um, it'll be certainly be interesting. I still imagine right now that you would still get a 34-game season um, by making up some of those games, and we talked about a congested schedule last year. There'll be a congested schedule this year if that happens as well. Um, it's already a congested schedule whenever you throw in Leagues Cup and U.S. Open Cup and CONCACAF Champions League and everything else that comes into these things. Um, but it's just, uh, again, it's now time. We talked about it you know, earlier in the month, and we said, listen, this is how negotiations go. You always make progress at the beginning because it's the little things, the things that aren't contentious. It's the things that you agree to agree on, and you can check those off, and you can move down the list really fast. And then all of a sudden, it comes to the things that you always knew were going to be difficult, but they're last remaining on the list, and now this is the stuff that you're really going have to have to have to hammer out and sort of uh, uh, figure out. And so that's where these work stoppages, that's where all of a sudden things can come slam shut very quickly. Uh, that's where you can get a lockout. That's where you can get a strike. Um, so that stuff could be coming to a head. I don't expect it to come to a head on January 31st, and I don't expect it to be to influence anything as you go through probably the middle of February, but as you get closer to February 29th and the start of the season, that's when things I feel like will really sort of ratchet up, and I feel like that everybody seems that there's enough to, to say, yeah, we'll work on the current CBA and continue things forward, um, but then there has to be a a want and there has to be pressure in order to actually get people to give in to what needs to be given into in order for a deal to actually be made. And so well, there's a couple of things about that. First of all, the last two CBAs, the, you know, the league came within hours or days, certainly days um, of, of a strike um, of the season, not starting on time and cooler heads prevailed. And it did the players felt on both occasions that they, that they gave up too much. And I think the players felt the first time um, that the league was still kind of in its infancy, and they didn't want to, they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to hurt the league, they didn't want to damage the league. It wasn't in a good place financially. I think last time the players felt like they had made some progress, and that the league needed to be a little more generous. 
And if you remember, the league said that we don't have any money. And then right after the CBA, they came out with the idea of TAM money. Right. So I think the players felt duped on that. The players now look at TAM money and say what they don't like about it is it's money that's they're allowed to spend. The teams are allowed to spend. It comes from the league. But they there's so many rules about how they, it can be spent that a mid-level um, you know, American player, a guy like, say, Daniel Starris, doesn't make enough money to be a DP and he can't get any of that TAM money. The, the Galaxy are told they have $1.5 or whatever to spend in TAM money, but they have to use it in cir- certain circumstances. And a Daniel Starris or a David Bingham, those guys don't get that money. And so the players look at that and say, look, if the money's there, let the teams decide how they want to spend it. Right. Um, and, and so that's an issue that the players are talking about. They're talking about uh, charter flights. I think this time, what's different this time is I think the, the players have come to the conclusion, look, MLS is healthy. Look at the attendance. Look at the billion-dollar owners, you know, the, the billionaire owners we're getting, these filled stadiums, TV rights. Things are going really well, and they're going really well because players come out to see the players. They don't come out to see the owners. They come out to see the players play, and the players feel like now's our time to stand up and and, and demand our fair share, and I think they're right about that. There's one thing I just mentioned in passing, which may not mean anything because I, I don't think this person is necessarily in a position to know, but – I was asking some Galaxy officials about that first game in Houston. And when I go on the road with the Galaxy, a lot of times I try to fly uh, on the team flight because it's a commercial flight. And I just find out what flight they're taking. And I, you know, I buy a ticket on that flight. And it, it's no problem. The Galaxy don't care. It's a commercial flight. Anyone can fly on that flight. So I was asking about the Houston flight. Like, when are you guys leaving? What airline are you flying? All that stuff. And they said, well, we don't know yet. It could be a charter. And that was the first time I'd heard anyone actually think about the possibility that there could be charter flights. I don't think MLS teams are going to fly charter every flight. It'd be ridiculous to fly to San Jose on a charter flight. Right. But one of the possibilities was I heard if you travel more than one time zone or more than 2,000 miles or whatever, that you, there might be the possibility of teams using charters. So um, the fact that the Galaxy official mentioned we don't know about our commercial flight yet because it might be a charter, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, it's certainly a, a big talking point. We know that that was one of the big talking points that uh, the union possibly might go after. So, again, just all very interesting stuff going on uh, all around the LA Galaxy. We'll, of course, have more updates for you as we go. But um, is there anything else, Kevin, you want to touch on before uh, before we head on out of here? Oops, I think I should probably go to the doctor soon. Yeah, I was going to say you probably should. You're coughing, you're you're having all sorts of fun. So yeah, you should you should you should probably do that. We don't need a we don't need a a deceased panda, all right? So, uh why don't you go ahead and uh, and take care. What we'll do is uh we'll go ahead and tell you that we will be back on Thursday, of course. Uh Thursday is a great day to have a live show and we're going to have a live show for you so make sure that you check that out uh eric the portuguese hammer will be in the studio with me and we'll uh, we'll be rocking and rolling with that uh if you're looking for mr kevin baxter on twitter it's at kbaxter 11 uh, and of course head on over to latimes.com for all of his soccer coverage covering soccer in southern california u.s men's national team women's national team soccer in general right there latimes.com he's their soccer writer make sure that you give them a read. All right, if you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at Jay Guessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and of course, at Galaxy Podcast, where you can find me. Uh, and then please head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Larry Morgan has a great notebook up on this Monday, so you're going to want to check that out as soon as you possibly can. And of course, we're going to have all of our podcasts, all of our videos, all that stuff is right there. Any news that happens with the LA Galaxy, we'll have it there as well. All right, for Kevin the Panda Baxter, I'm Josh Pato Guessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com.
You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. Fans, we thank you for listening, and we ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.